Good morning, happy Sunday everyone. This is Amy and welcome back to the LBC podcast. This week we continue to think about some of the ways in which we live out our purpose, what it looks like for us to express and fulfill that purpose in right relationship with God. This week is part two of our focus on worship. So through Romans 12, Jim will help us to think about the place of worship and the purpose that it serves in our purpose-driven lives. Good morning and welcome back to our morning service, our series in the purpose-driven life. We began last week by looking at the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. You worship the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we looked at how we were to offer all of ourselves in loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this week we're going to look at three aspects of worship, uh, which will hopefully help us to grasp what our worship is and should be. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Romans chapter 12 and the first three verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. So first of all, worship is a response. Um, we are to worship in view of God's mercies. And other than it's translated in Bibles, it, it's, it's not just God's mercy, it's God's mercies. It's a plural word. And Paul has presented the mercies of God in the first 11 chapters of the letter to the Romans. And it's in response to this teaching and doctrine and exhortation and encouragement that we offer ourselves. What I propose to do now is sum up those first 11 chapters using the scriptures, most of which we will recognize and invite us as we listen to respond in worship. It would have been great to be in the same room and hear the responses, but instead perhaps we could put our responses in the comments on Facebook um, as an idea. So be a bit different. Now let's participate in this as we hear the word of God. Let's enter into a worshipful uh, sense. So let's worship. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. What may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. God gave them over in their sinful desires to shameful lusts and depraved mind. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Both Gentile and Jew have failed to honour God all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God 
and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Abraham was justified through faith. We too, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also share in his glory. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In chapters 9 through 11, Paul laments over his own people, Israel, but emphasizes God is not finished with them yet. They are still his vine, and we Gentiles have been grafted to faith. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul ends chapter 11, overwhelmed by the truths he has just written, pours out his own worship. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, and through him 
and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Our worship is a response. Our worship is also a sacrifice. Along with what we've just heard, we offer also our bodies. And the word here conveys the same meaning as that of heart and soul, which we looked at last week. We offer all of ourselves. And we offer a sacrifice, albeit a living one, as odd as that may seem. A sacrifice speaks to us of death. And while Jesus' death has paid the price for our redemption, we are challenged to die to ourselves as an offering to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we read of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, we see that what was offered was the best. Animals with no defects, the best of the flocks and herds, the first fruits, giving first to God and his kingdom before thinking of ourselves, offering in a planned and regular way to give of our best. It ought to cost us. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has designed in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and the word there means hilarious, as it may seem. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. When we were planning to provide lunches for the families in our community uh, over Christmas, we pledged as a church to fund the whole operation, even although we didn't have the funds. And we have other commitments, commitments to Amy, our missionaries, other groups and individuals, not to mention the upkeep of our building. We spent almost a thousand pounds, but with contributions from Fife Council, local supermarkets, the local food bank and individuals, the whole operation cost the church nothing. And indeed, we have money left over to put towards future projects. I'm not advocating a prosperity gospel here, but illustrating how things can work out and that God is no man's debtor. In Malachi, the prophet writes, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. As we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure in this fulsome way, this is holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual worship. The word here for spiritual is logikos, in the Greek from which we get the word logical, and it's an ambiguous word in the New Testament, translated here as spiritual. In light of what we read in Romans chapters 1 to 11, it is, of course, a logical response. 
though that would not be the case for the unbeliever in his perspective. It is spiritual in the sense that these things can only be understood with the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Our worship is a sacrifice. And lastly, we see in this passage, worship is warfare. And that's not perhaps a concept we would link with our worship. Verse 3 gives an indication of the warfare which is going on at a spiritual level. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word translated world here is age in the Greek. Paul writes in Galatians, grace and peace to you for God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. The New Testament contrasts the present age with the age to come. The present age is characterized by rebellion against God and the corruption and death which result. The age to come is where God gives new life to the world and humankind, bringing justice, joy, and peace for all. There are principalities and powers at work in the world system. Our governments, the media, our culture, schools, and religion. We should refuse to let the present age squeeze us into its mold and dictate to us how we should think or how we can or cannot behave. We are not merely concerned with making concessions to this age or coming down to the same level. Paul warns us against being absorbed by it surrendering to it and falling prey to it. To do so is to yield to its power. When I was working for the SU in one of his high school, I was often frustrated by the restrictions placed on us and what we could and couldn't say. And the school was happy to have us there, but only on their terms. And again, in applying for funding, some funders made it very plain that they would not support overtly Christian ministries and ways had to be found to highlight the real difference we were making to people's lives but keeping God out of the picture. There are increasing restrictions being laid down in our society, some of them being enshrined in law, which look to promote a secular and humanist viewpoint to the exclusion of any religion. Let's not kid ourselves, this is a spiritual activity whose influence is persistent and alluring. It's easier just to go with the flow rather than swim against the tide. However, Paul also challenges us to the renewal of our mind. And the word here in the Greek is what the word we would get a metamorphosis, like a caterpillar into a butterfly. And the wonder of that process is that all of the substance is already there, but it is rearranged into a completely different organism. Paul is urging us to think through all that God has done for us, as we did earlier, to fill our minds with his thoughts, his deeds, his scriptures, and prayer, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit within to transform us and our lives in opposition to the conformity of this age. And we do this, and our lives reflect the truth. We issue a challenge the powers. 
we worship with our lives against the flow of the culture. When we put Jesus at the center of everything we do, we are living in the age to come, which has already begun with him. There's a verse in John's Gospel where Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel, and this is what he says. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Worship in word and deed, which puts Jesus in his rightful place, opens heaven and calls the powers into their proper place, serving the purposes of God. May we see heaven open over our church and community, the powers of darkness pushed back and people free to respond to the good news. As usual, uh, we will be meeting for uh, coffee and questions after the service. There's a couple of questions I want us to think about. Firstly, how does the idea of worship as warfare change the way we think about it? And how aware are we of the pressure to conform to our culture's values? Thanks for listening.